Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture passage this morning is the 15th chapter of Luke. If you're following along in your pew Bible, you can find that passage on pages 3, pages 850 and 851. Reading together from Luke 15. Listen to the word of God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over God over one sinner who repents. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country, and there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, A severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off, and he went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Now his elder son 
was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, you get me instead of Doc. I'll let you decide at the end which was better. Don't tell him I said that. He'll be mad. It's always good to be here at Second Ponce. And on behalf of the brothers and sisters and the congregations that make up the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship of Georgia, thank you. Thank you for the ways that you have supported us through our history of over 30 years now. The ways you have given time and talent and hospitality and resources to do the work of God among us Wiley Baptists here in Georgia and beyond. We can't do the work we do without you. And so we are eternally grateful for your partnership. Uh, even last year, you hosted a March Mission Madness for us, which is our annual missions weekend for students as they gathered from all over our state to come and serve and work and worship and fellowship here in Atlanta. And you hosted it. We can't do this work without you. So thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you have been a part of our lives and continue to be so. The older I get, the more I am reminded that family is hard. If there's one thing about life that we should take away from reading the Bible, it's that family is hard. Always has been, always will be. From the beginning of Scripture to the end, family issues cause more headache heartache, and tragedy than anything else. 2,000 years later, that's still true for the rest of us, not memorialized in Scripture. The people who know us best can hurt us most. Sharing life and love in such close proximity means we cannot hide our imperfections. We cannot conceal our deepest thoughts forever. And we cannot avoid the inevitable clashes of personality and intention. Family is hard. The New Testament never mentions Jesus' wife or his children. 
So despite what Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code would have us believe, it's a safe bet that he was single. But that doesn't mean his family wasn't hard too. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include a confrontation between Jesus and his mother and his brothers who interrupt a scene of Jesus' preaching and teaching. Perturbed and short in his answer, Jesus obliterates the notion of biological family, declaring that family are the ones who do the will of his Father in heaven. Why, in John chapter 7, it is explicitly declared that Jesus' brothers did not even believe in him. And if you thought Thanksgiving dinner with cranky parents and insufferable in-laws were bad, try being the Messiah whose family doesn't support you in any way. We just read perhaps the most famous of Jesus' parables the prodigal son, falling at the tail end of a three-parable series of lostness, this parable is beloved because of the many levels through which the gospel of Jesus seeps into our lives. We live in an inextricable web of relationships, family, friends, church, community, enemies even, that hold us, shape us, and form us. Tell me your company and I will tell you who you are, declared Sancho Panza to Don Quixote. It's an old proverb, admits Sancho, and it seems that most cultures have had some kind of saying like this for centuries. Spanish, Greek, ancient Romans, Old English, French, even the Hebrews, all of them held that who we associate with determine people's perception of us. Surely Jesus knew the proverb from his own faith and tradition, the one that says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. The Pharisees and the scribes of the law surely knew this proverb and they used it at every opportunity they could to bludgeon Jesus about his choice of friends and companions. But he just couldn't help himself. Jesus had this penchant for eating with and traveling among and loving on society's outcasts. The Pharisees, whose name comes from a word meaning pure. And the scribes, the religious lawyers who were bound and determined that everyone in the community would diligently follow the law of Moses. These two groups were constantly grumbling about Jesus' friendships and dining companions. Why, even at the beginning of this chapter in Luke, you hear them grumbling how dare this man who some call rabbi eat with such folks, they mutter. Surely he knows they are unclean. What would our forefathers say to this foolishness? 
He makes a mockery of everything we believe. These folks he eats with are sinners of the worst kind. They're traitors to our people, scoundrels, prostitutes, and lazy, good-for-nothing Samaritans too. But Jesus, as is his way, doesn't scream and shout and raise a fuss in response to these leaders. Instead, he said, well, let me tell you a couple of stories. He told them these parables, parables of lostness that reverberated as deeply then as they do today. A shepherd leaves 99 sheep in the flock in the desert wilderness in order to seek out one wayward sheep. A woman loses one drachma, maybe a day's wages, and frantically searches her home for it, hoping against hope that this precious coin would turn up. These first two parables are joined not only by their theme of lostness, but also by the extravagant response of finding a wayward sheep and a lost coin. But it's absurd to risk the well-being of a large flock just to find one sheep. In the wilderness, no self-respecting, caring shepherd would leave 99% of his flock to search for one. And in the same manner, it's crazy to overturn your house to find one small coin and then throw a party when you find it. Neither of these responses to lostness made any financial or practical sense. But that's the way it is in God's economy. That's the way it is in God's kingdom. If somehow... Being lost is a part of the human condition, then being found is a part of God's condition. But this last parable, though, the one about the father and his sons, it's the most enduring and the most endearing because losing people is much harder than losing things. And it's universal. My guess is that all of us here today have lost someone. It's an experience as old as humanity itself. Even more, it's a parable of the difficulty of loving and losing those closest to us. Our family. Family is hard. Always has been and always will be. This parable begins with the father losing his own life, at least in the eyes of his younger son. The younger son is so preoccupied with his own self that he went to his father and asked for his inheritance early, essentially telling dad that it'd be great if he would go on ahead and die and leave everything to me that I'm supposed to get. Now, some of us, may remember times when we were disrespectful to our parents, perhaps talking back or muttering things under our breath. Maybe we even had a big blowout filled with yelling and screaming 
and then eventually regret. But to have the gall and the disrespect of your parents to go to them and say, I want what's coming to me when you die. Well, that would have been unthinkable to Jesus' hearers, just as it's unthinkable to us. Following Levitical law, a father's inheritance, the totality of the family's possessions, as well as the family name, would have been split two-thirds for the oldest son and one-third for the rest. Taking one-third of a family's worth before its time would have been an insult of the highest order. Perhaps bordering on that unforgivable sin kind of status. And yet, and yet the father, perhaps seeing the determination and intention of the younger son, acquiesced. The younger son, and let's be clear, in the Bible, it's always the younger son who is impetuous took his stuff, his inheritance, his money, his father's money. He took everything and went to a distant country and spent it all. Finally, financially and morally bankrupt, he sees that he's lower than the servants on a farm slopping pigs and decides to go home. Maybe dad will at least let me be a servant in the house, he despairs, because it would be better than this. And so he begins rehearsing a speech, maybe one filled with regret, or maybe not. Maybe the younger son knew that dad was a pushover anyway. I mean, after all, the father gave in the first time when he asked for his inheritance early. Maybe dad would just look the other way this time too. Maybe dad was so soft and weak that he would let this half-baked, exhausted plan work. And so he hits the road, rehearsing that speech over and over again. Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. And as he crested the hill at the family home place, trudging along the dusty road, barefoot as a slave would be, wearing a threadbare tunic like a poor worker, and bearing no symbol of the family name, the father saw him. And the father ran. Like the shepherd leaving 99 sheep in the wilderness and the woman celebrating with friends over finding the coin, the father's response was extravagant, even reckless. Unlike today, in Jesus' day, dignified men did not run. But this father left all his dignity behind and ran with abandon to his son. The well-rehearsed speech began spilling out of the son's mouth, but the father's bear-hugging and kissing on his cheeks 
surely muffled that voice. The father was not having any speeches of contrition and regret. The lost son was found, and that was all that mattered. The robe, a symbol of wealth, and sandals, which slaves did not wear, along with the family signet ring, were quickly brought out. No more a poor slave eating pig slop. The lost son was found. Now I'll confess to you, if this parable ended right here, it would be enough. It would be enough to tell me that the love of God is so extravagant, so far-reaching, so amazing so available that it would be enough. It would be enough to tell me that God never stops looking for the lost, waiting for the wanderers, and hoping for the hopeless. This story up till now in and of itself would be enough to convince me that this God is worth following and believing. But you and I know there's more to the story. There's the older brother who had been working in the far fields and who was coming back home that day as well. Dutiful, committed, stable, upstanding. The older son was the one you'd want your daughter to marry. But looks can be and often are deceiving. Underneath this polished, upstanding exterior was a bubbling cauldron of resentment, vitriol, and spite. Perhaps it was hearing the music of the celebration that caused him to bubble over. Or maybe it was the smell of the barbecue brisket from the fatted calf that sent him into a rage. But whatever it was that triggered him unleashed a speech that he too had been rehearsing for quite some time. Listen, for all these years, I have been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never even given me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours can't even call him his brother. This son of yours who has devoured all of your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. The pent-up rage and resentment aimed at his father and his brother had corroded the older son's soul. The father, who had literally been condemned to death, had seemingly lost his son along with a sizable portion of his possessions. That father was overjoyed that, as Frederick Buechner writes, in God's economy, the worst things in this life are never the last things in this life. There's always hope. 
The older son, like the younger son, was so preoccupied with his own self that he could not see the grace that was all around him. He believed in hard work, which is good. But he believed that grace was not freely given, but won through hard work. The older son could not countenance the fact that the father, whom he truly perceived as a doddering old fool who would give away all that he had worked for, could love so freely and so generously. This kind of love had never seeped into the older son's soul. And so, he'd rather sit outside in the cold of the environment and the coldness of his heart than to enter into the warm embrace of the father and the family party. Whether the older son realized it or not, everything, everything the father has was indeed his. He did not have to work for the father's approval. It was already given. He did not have to strive for the Father's blessing. It had already been bestowed upon him. He does not have to search for the Father's grace. It is showered upon him constantly. You know, the more I read this parable, I think I'd like to edit its introduction. I'd like for it to say, there was a man who had two sons who were lost. It is indeed a story of the lostness of the sons and how the younger one who was physically and geographically lost was found and how the older son who was spiritually lost never would come home. In both cases, the father came to the sons, running to the one whom he thought was dead but was truly alive and walking out to welcome in the son who never left but was never really there to begin with. While both boys were lost, the father never stopped looking for them because the father's love will not let them be lost for good. The father is good because his children will always be found. The father wanted nothing more than for his boys to come home, to be found, because the apostle Paul was right when he wrote in his letter to the church at Rome, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation, not even being lost or found, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Family is hard, always has been and always will be. But thanks be to God, the loving parent, the good father, whose love will not let us go. Even when we run off to faraway lands, 
or even if we refuse to come inside the house that we've always called home. Amen. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, our God, the relationships you have given us in our lives have shaped us and formed us. But we confess family is hard sometimes. We are grateful, O oh Lord, that even in the hardness of relationships, your grace and love are still with us. And so, O oh God, whether we find ourselves lost and running back home or being at home and staying outside because we cannot take the joy that is in you, we pray that you come meet us even in this very moment as we lift our hearts and our lives to you. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen. As we gather to sing a response this morning, if you're lost, come home. If you're standing outside waiting for an invitation, the invitation is open. Family is hard. It always has been and always will be. But our God, our loving parent, our loving father is here to welcome us into God's family. As we stand to sing, speak to my heart, I'd invite you to come and respond. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.